uh, the average uh, income, monthly income is only less than uh, 1,000 RMB. So, so that could become an instability issue to the society. So last year, the focus was on poverty reduction and nation, but uh, I think the, this year and from on, all about common prosperity, and it's in, including three stages of distribution. The first stage is the, about efficiency, those richer get richer. The second stage is about social welfare, so using property tax and the other tax uh, we are going to see uh, to have a redistribution among the different classes of uh, people. And third stage is about the uh, uh, social uh, responsibility is mm-hmm. to use the charity and the other means to have the richer to give more shares uh, of wealth to the society through uh, the social uh, welfare needs. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that explanation. Very interesting, Yanan. Talk to you again very soon. That's Yanan Wu, who is the chairman of Zheng Rong Bao. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian stocks slipping a little bit now off of their highs that they reached at the open. The ASX 200 is now up a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up 1.1 percent. Futures markets indicating a gain of about 280 points for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is about 0.8% firmer at $65.77 a barrel. Gold is slipping a little bit, trading this morning at $1,779 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse in just a moment. The weather forecast mainly fine apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day, maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. There is a very hot weather warning in force. And then the outlook is for sunny periods and a few showers in the next couple of days. 30 degrees right now, 76% relative humidity. State 32, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. Authorities in the Philippines say they've reached agreement with Hong Kong on allowing domestic helpers from the country to take up employment in the SAR. Ben Che has details. The Department of Labor and Employment in Manila says its agreement with the Hong Kong authorities will allow fully vaccinated domestic helpers to fly to Hong Kong from Monday next week. It said as many as 3,000 helpers would be able to fly in, having been unable to take up employment since SAR authorities banned arrivals from the country in April. It says employers will have to pay the cost of quarantine hotels, and SAR authorities were working with hotel operators. Hong Kong's Labor Department said on Saturday that it was close to agreement on recognizing vaccination records from Indonesia and the Philippines. A further announcement is expected this week. Hong Kong has indicated that it will set aside one or two hotels for incoming helpers to spend the 21-day quarantine period. Hong Kong reported five imported cases of COVID-19 yesterday. The Taliban has said hundreds of their fighters are heading for the Panjshir Valley, north of Kabul, because local leaders had refused to hand it over peacefully. Earlier, the region's powerful militia leader, Ahmed Massoud, said he was ready for talks to avert a civil war, so long as the Taliban formed an inclusive, decentralised government. Mr Massoud, son of the anti-Soviet resistance fighter Ahmed Shah Massoud, said many people with a shared vision for the future of Afghanistan had joined him. The people of Panjshir Valley are very much united and uh, they want to uh, defend and they want to fight and they want to resist against any totalitarian regime, against any belief that wants to enforce their own belief and ideology upon the people. It's not just Panjshiris, but actually there are many other people from many other provinces who seek refuge inside Panjshir Valley. 
France is awarding one of its highest honours to the black French-American singer and dancer Josephine Baker, who died in 1975. The government says her remains will be moved to the Pantheon Mausoleum in Paris in November. The BBC's Steve Jackson reports. The Pantheon is the resting place of some of the greatest figures in French history. Josephine Baker will join Voltaire, Victor Hugo, Louis Braille and Marie Curie there. Her family describe her as the first black international star and have been campaigning for her talents to be properly recognised. While she enjoyed runaway success on the stage in the 1920s and 30s, it was her wartime work for the French resistance that cemented her status. She used her celebrity connections to gather information on German troop movements, which she passed on, scribbled on musical scores. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Covid and business and show business first today. Later we're going to be talking about Gurkha retirees. The government has come under fire over the exemption of the actress Nicole Kidman and her film crew from quarantine. Edward Yowler defended the decision, said these exemptions are not allowing anyone to be free but rather a number of conditions. These conditions are meant to contain the risks in a manageable manner. We often strike a balance between facilitation and epidemic control. Meanwhile, international business groups continue to criticise local authorities' moves to enhance quarantine. Under the new rules, only fully vaccinated travellers are allowed to fly in from high-risk countries and they must spend 21 days in quarantine. Is Nicole Kidman's exemption justifiable? As Hong Kong Singapore travel bubble is officially called off, when can we open up again? Let us know your thoughts, questions and comments. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can uh, call us, and our number is 233 That's 233 and after 9.15, as I say, we're talking about uh, Gurkhas, a hunger strike to protest against uh, unequal pensions for uh, former Gurkha soldiers in the British Army has ended after the UK government agreed to further talks. Uh, what's going on there? We'll be talking uh, to uh, Tim Gurung uh, later in the programme. Once again, we want to hear from you. You can email bankchat at rthk.hk with your, with your thoughts, questions uh, and comments uh, or go to our Facebook page as well. Let's have a, look, a quick look at... Uh, uh, some of the emails uh, that we have received uh, so far before we get into the discussion today. I uh, may have to edit these uh, for length. Peter D says, here is a suggestion for Carrie Lam and her leadership. There are 950,000 people aged over 70 uh, in Hong Kong and less than 50,000 have had a single dose of vaccine. The 900,000 or so unvaccinated over 70s are preventing the borders from opening up. We have a capacity to administer over 400,000 jabs each week. Focus on getting, say, 100,000 over 70s injected each week, and we can reach 80% of this part of the population fully vaccinated within 12 weeks. Use this as a realistic target to open up the borders. The government should focus all attention and publicity on getting the elderly and most vulnerable fully vaccinated. Forget encouraging the less vulnerable. This just dilutes the message. In any case, they are able to look after themselves and are well on the way to getting jabbed up. Announce the November target, start to measure the daily take-up in statistics, take a leaf out of Singapore's book and publish a daily count of unvaccinated seniors. Uh, make it uh, known that even if the rest of us get to 80% or 90% take-up, it's all pointless unless the seniors play their part. That's from uh, Peter D. 
And uh, Alonso says the speed at which COVID has spread in Australia, a country which has essentially been closed to international travel since last year, serves as a stark reminder to the Hong Kong government that closing your borders and adopting a zero COVID policy is an ineffective strategy if your vaccination rate remains low. The, on that front, the continued decline in the daily vaccination numbers in Hong Kong is a concern. Yesterday's first vaccination total of under 22,000 was the lowest since early June and represents a 26% decline from the figure of around 30 in each of the previous two Sundays. The allure of prizes from the private sector appears to have run its course as a vaccination incentive, suggesting the government will have to dangle an additional carrot. Uh, in a city where money talks, the answer is fairly obvious. The government should offer an extra 5,000 compensation vouchers to everyone who gets vaccinated. Uh, that's from uh, Alonso. And uh, this is from Jay. Uh, who says, how many people so far got COVID exemptions in and out of Hong Kong? 689 admitted to crossing the border 36, that's uh, uh, CY Lung, uh, crossing the border 36 times without quarantine here and in China. That was three months ago, already reported on Hong Kong RTHK, and even before vaccines were available. Next week, it's reported a group of mainland officials will visit Hong Kong to brief the Hong Kong government. That's this week. Likewise, no quarantine, yet most got the Sinovac shots which Chinese Yu has revealed produced few antibodies. What about the Blossom films and the Kidman cast? Did they get exemptions? Likewise, Blossom film crew. Hong Kong is admitting cross-infection of healthy persons in quarantine, becoming infected in not-fit-for-purpose hotels with less than six air changes per room per hour. Uh, now, because of the knee-jerk headless chicken decision, making overseas residents who would have to cancel their flights and returns since there are not enough hotel room extensions to change from the original one week, this says to anti-vaxxers that it's pointless to get the vaccine as we treat fully vaccinated people the same anyway and jail them in infection centres for two to three weeks. That is from Jay. Uh, uh, joining us uh, now uh, in the first part of the uh, programme, we have uh, Eniki uh, Amate, who's the uh, Vice Chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, in our central studio. Uh, Malik Peres, uh, Professor Malik Peres, is the Chair of Virology at the University of Hong Kong School of uh, Public Health, and Michael Tin will be joining us later. Uh, Mr. Amati, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. How thank you very you? much indeed for, for joining us today. I'm, I'm uh, pretty good, thank you. Yeah. Um, so um, last week uh, you were saying um, on RTHK and in other places, is that you were you were concerned about these uh, plans to uh, uh, in increase quarantine uh, requirements for for travellers, whether or not they were vaccinated, saying that this could uh, threaten uh, our st status as an international business hub. We just had Paul Chan over the weekend uh, saying actually the Hong Kong is thriving uh, and investment is coming to Hong Kong, uh, which is correct. Well, I'm sure they, they, they want to defend the current position. And uh, in our side, we hear very different opinions from the community. The international community is, is clearly disappointed with their last measures. And, uh, and we, we hear more than ever comments from the community about considering seriously whether this is the place they want to stay with no prospect of opportunity to go back to to their home countries when it's, when it's required. And and with that, without that prospect, it's very difficult to plan a life in, in a park, in a country that uh, that we call home today, but we might have to decide that it's not no longer home if we cannot see uh, a prosperous future here. Do you think it's time, Mr. Amat? Good morning. Is it time for us in Hong Kong to abandon this zero COVID approach and learn uh, to live with it? 
I, th I think we need to develop a plan for living with zero, without zero cases. Um, because the, the reality is that uh, it's very realistic, it's very, pros it's very possible that we will see a, a future evolutions of the, of the pandemic in new, in new versions of it. And we, there will be continuously the, the question about how and when is the right time to open. I think we, the other countries that we have seen, uh, I spent some time in Europe this uh, summer, and you see actually countries like uh, uh, Switzerland, uh, France, Spain, Germany, Scandinavia, that they are learning to live with it. And it's not, uh, it's not impossible. You can see that actually the country comes from Spain, where you have over 90% of the elderly part of the population vaccinated. The rates of mortality have gone down dramatically. And, and then also the, the use of the healthcare system is also reasonable. So you realize that actually the, the, the main reason we actually take all these measures goes away when you are able to manage with, with enough levels of vaccination the, the risk of the virus. I noticed and one of our listeners made the same point that the daily rate of vaccination is dropping and has actually dropped quite precipitously. It's now well below 30,000. Um, to, to my mind, we should be aiming to have for 100,000 vaccinations a day. 50,000 first vaccination, another 50,000 second vaccination, and you then have a million people in the pipeline. So always 50,000 coming out when they got their second and another 50,000. We're nowhere near these numbers, are we? No, and unfortunately, um, when you have a trend like this, then uh, obviously you, call, you, you need to basically open your eyes and realize that uh, some change is required, right? Because that is definitely not going to help us to, to open any time soon. Yes. I mean, the, there is no incentive at the moment for opening. Well, how about the $3,000 as the second installment of the voucher? Can we make that conditional? Well, I, I think that when we call for a plan, I mean, uh, what we are asking for is for exactly a different set of measures that would try to look into what is really required for incentivizing the population and make them realize that actually there is a, this is in the benefit of everyone, right? I mean, we, we are representing the international community, but we are certain that, I mean, it's in the interest of the whole population that the vaccination is right. widespread. I, I, I challenge people who, are not, who I meet who are not vaccinated, and they, all, they have a different excuse every time. It, oh, you know, my blood pressure is too high, or uh, my cholesterol level is too high, or I've got an itchy foot. You know, there just seems to be a new excuse every time you ask them. Yeah, I think I think in more than ever, I think that we need to call for uh, a, a very basic value of society, which is solidarity. I think we need to understand. I mean, the, this is something where we all need to join forces in order to beat the the current situation. And uh, and it's not enough just to think about yourself. You need to really think about the the well being of the whole of the whole community. Mm. Uh, Professor Manik Perez, good morning to you. Good morning. Morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us today. Uh, where, where do you stand on this? Well, I mean, I think uh, last year, when uh, we had no countermeasures available, um, trying to aim for um, zero COVID was a desirable goal. Uh, but, but I think um, this is not a sustainable goal in the long term. Uh, I mean, and, and clearly, as was pointed out, we need to have to learn to live with it. Now, as, as was um, highlighted in the discussion, the big problem is uh, the, the 
relatively poor vaccine uptake, particularly in those who most need it, that is those over uh, 70 and 80 years. I mean, over 80 years, I think it's only about 10%. Now, um, I think maybe one of the reasons why people are not coming forward is the perception that there is no risk from COVID given our zero COVID policy. So it becomes a a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, if you like. I mean, why should, uh, uh, you know, one could argue, why should somebody take the vaccine? Because, um, you know, Hong Kong is um, COVID-free. So I think Hong Kong really, first and foremost, has to uh, have a serious... uh, assessment of its way forward right. in the media. I, I know you don't want to disagree with a colleague, or not directly disagree with <laughs> with a colleague, but uh, Yun Kwok Yun uh, did say uh, yesterday that uh, we would need a vaccination rate of more than 90% for social distancing measures to be further relaxed. Uh, no, no. no, so I mean, I'm not disagreeing per se. What I'm, I'm not suggesting that we, we abandon zero COVID today. What I'm saying is that we need to signal to the populace that uh, this is coming, that that we will have to learn to live with COVID, and uh, those who are not vaccinated had better get vaccinated as soon as possible. Isn't, isn't so, there, you know, pr- professor, that, that would be one incentive. Yeah. Isn't there a problem here that the the people we're talking about who are not getting vaccinated, most of them, as was said, was quite elderly, um, they don't travel and they don't need to travel. They, they're basically retired. They may miss the opportunity to go back to a village in somewhere in southern China, but they're quite happy uh, moving around in Hong Kong. They don't mind wearing masks. They're not often out of the house. Um, this situation for them is fine, whereas for international business people, this is a disaster. You, you can't go... If people are reluctant to leave Hong Kong and go back either to their home country for a, a working visit or a family visit or to go internationally if you've got the prospect of three weeks in quarantine when you come back. They, they just won't go. And as I think, as Mr. Hamati was hinting, if that's going to be the situation long term, they'll stop coming here. Yes, but the, but the issue is not just for people who are traveling. What I'm saying is that at the moment, you know, there is no perception of threat because there is no COVID circulating in Hong Kong. So people can take this uh, view that you suggest. But I think what we have to convince people is this is not going to be realistic in the long term. I mean, certainly not with Delta. You can see that, you know, Singapore, uh, sorry, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, mainland China, they have all, you know, um, succumbed to to Delta. They're trying to get it under control. Yes. But but, and and if we agree that uh, Hong Kong will move, at some time um, in the future to, uh, you know, abandoning the zero COVID policy, then it becomes inevitable that we have to live with the virus. Then it becomes much more important that people are protected. All right. Also joining us is Michael Tin, a lawmaker, convener of Roundtable. Mr. Tin, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, what do you think about this? How long can we stick with the uh, zero COVID, COVID policy? Actually, you know, I just uh, tuned in. I thought you were talking about the exemption of uh, Nicole Kidman. With regard to the zero COVID policy, I think eventually we all have to face that all over the world. It's a matter of time, and it's a matter of our own uh, vaccination rate. 
And lately, another new element came on the uh, radar screen, which is that, how do you define vaccination rate? Percentage of population vaccinated twice uh, after 14 days, is that the only measure? You have countries like Israel already achieving that. And now they're saying uh, those who have taken the vaccine six months ago, the antibody level is dropping. And now they're really going actively after the third shot, which is the booster, which is something I've been pressing for in Nashco. So I throw a question at Sophia Chan the other day, saying her immunity has to have a new definition. It should not be tied in with an absolute figure called vaccination rate. It should, vaccination is a process to achieve an end. The end is to ensure a huge percentage of the population achieving a certain antibody level right. and sustaining it. So it should be boosters for all at some point? Yes, yes, boosters for all. For example, half of people in Hong Kong is taking Sinovac, half taking BioNTech, right? Yes. And uh, those who's taking Sino, who took Sinovac in uh, maybe March, April, it has now been six months, all right? A lot of the people that I talk to, actually the anti-level has dropped to very close to that so-called 50 there's a, there's, a, there's a scale, okay? You right. can get up to a few thousands, and then if you're below 50, it's considered not enough. Right. All right? So in about two months' time, whatever vaccination rate you are looking at now is not going to be relevant. But the, we, are, we have a more fundamental problem, don't we, Mike? We, we have hundreds of thousands of people who won't get vaccinated at all. Exactly. So we are facing two front. Right. So okay. under that scenario, how the hell can we give up the zero COVID policy? How, how do we? Oh, oh, well, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Uh, we've, got, we've got an email from Paul, who's usually he's skeptical about the about the. Um the vaccine, let's put it like that. Uh, Paul says, the reason why vaccination rates have fallen is because there are a lot of people who don't want to take it. And it would be refreshing if we could hear a voice on Backchat which respects that decision for a change. That comes from Paul. Well, if I, if I had... If I could think of a reason why you wouldn't get vaccinated, I think it would be pretty clear, wouldn't it? It would be that there's no there's no COVID in Hong Kong. This is the same all over the world. Where there are low rates, there are low low incidents. I, I, if I was an old person, I might say that there's no point. There's there's literally no COVID in Hong Kong. There hasn't been for months. Right. Why should I? Why so should I put my my? I'm just saying this is the this yes, would be. I, the I argument. understand the argument. Yeah. Well, there's two choices then. We either as a government let COVID in, so we scare all the elderly people into rushing the, to the <laughs> centre and getting that. vaccinated, or we pay them. And uh, we've got $3,000 that we've got more that we've got to pay everybody under the can voucher I, scheme. Why don't we make that conditional? Can I share some insight with you? Yes, please. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time in the district. Um, uh, quite a few of my supporters are elderly, uh, you know, older people. They come up to me and they did not mention that uh, they expect uh, that they would take uh, the vaccination if government up the stick in terms of prizes and award and reward and whatnot. They say the utmost concern, other than the fact that there seems to be uh, the lack of imminent uh, risk of life because the, the, you know, the death rate is low, they also 
also mentioned that they worry about the side effects. Mm. So I pressed government uh, successfully, uh, may I say, to offer free consultation at government clinic upon short notice. Now, there's a case in point. One of my uh, supporters went to those clinics, uh, sit down and talk to the doctor in charge and say, well, I have um, medicine allergy. Should I take the vaccine? What is going to happen? And the doctor said, okay, let me take a look at your record. You went through every day. And then she said, okay, you have to go take a test to see if your allergy would respond to this kind of vaccine. All right? So everything sounds good. So this supporter went to book for a test to see if he would be allergic to the vaccine. You know how long is the wait to take that test? Can you guess? A year or something? Five 2024. Minutes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so just imagine, nine out of ten elderly who called in probably is concerned about some kind, some kind of allergy. If right. every one of them needs to wait yes. until 2024 to get tested and the wood spread out, the other people, it's not even bothered to call. Malik Paris, um, um, my impression was that that, that that situation arises, but then the doctors are sometimes quite reluctant to give the all clear, aren't they? Because they say, well, we don't really know. And um, it, it, doctors don't seem to be confident in saying to uh, elderly people, even those that consult them, that it's fine. Yes, I mean, the, the, the real contraindications to um, these different types of vaccines, I mean, uh, particularly the BioNTech vaccine, is, is a particular type of very severe allergy called anaphylaxis. Now, this is extremely rare. I mean, most people, I mean, many people do say they have allergies to food and things like that. Now, these are not necessarily contraindications to getting the vaccine. Now, clearly, it would help uh, for, for the individual to be able to talk to uh, a medical professional, as was pointed out. But, um, but you're right that, um, again, I think even the medical professionals are very uh, hesitant not to, uh, you know, to, to take the slightest risk. Um, and, um, and, and the other point is that even this um, anaphylactic shock side effect is eminently treatable, and all the vaccine centers in Hong Kong have all the facilities uh, to treat effectively uh, any these extremely rare cases uh, of anaphylaxis that may occur. So I think um, the messaging is um, uh, is, is uh, not satisfactory, to put it, to put it mildly. All right. Uh, yeah, I Michael Tin, Michael Tin, can I get you on Nicole Kidman before you yeah, go? Can, uh, I, can uh, I make another point? Yeah, go on. The case that I mentioned actually is not just one, it's many cases. Mm. And, the and it's not because the doctor is not willing to take risks. The doctor already told the person to go take a test. It's the test that's taking so long. They're offering free consultation uh, within 24 hours. But if you, if you have to undertake further tests, it's a three year wait. That's the problem. All right. What about Nicole Kidman? Should we let her in? Is she doing <laughs> good thing for Hong Kong, in, you know, enhancing our image uh, by making these uh, TV series? Well, I uh, have a problem with the government on two fronts. First of all, uh, how do they measure the importance of 
filming equipment in Hong Kong. They meant they give a reason saying uh, that's an economic consideration. So is, is her film going to add to the GDP of Hong Kong? How much? How to measure? Absolutely zero. And I'm sure they, 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 they cannot answer it. Then secondly, presumably, if Hong Kong gets into a very popular movie, tourists are going to get interested. They're going to come to Hong Kong. But right now we're getting no tourists. So it's probably a, a benefit further down the line. But the important thing is there is no objective evaluation uh, of uh, Nicole Kidman filming in Hong Kong versus somebody else. Now, it's setting a dangerous uh, president. This is actually what I said uh, at uh, LegCo. I said, once you said that, does that mean any other Hollywood star coming to film uh, in Hong Kong in the future will get uh, uh, exemption? Okay, if not, how do you explain that Nicole is better no. than the others? But what okay. about the other 40,000 people who exempt? Oh, the other 40,000 that are exempt, they never explain it. That's another problem. They need to come and say, diplomatic uh, consideration, that's one area, okay? If there are frequent travelers with uh, uh, business uh, considerations, uh, either abroad in Hong Kong or with the mainland, these are all things that they need to make clear. But those are people who in some way obviously has a tie to Hong Kong because of what they do. I don't think government would blindly give exemption. I have people who are NBC deputy and whatever and did not get any exemption. So at least my guess is that, well, first of all, I'm not arguing okay. uh, to support them, but those people have an ongoing relationship with Hong Kong. But All right, Michael Tim, we're, we're out of time. We take, we take your point. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you very much indeed to Professor Malik Paris and to Inaki Amati in our social studio, Vice Chairman of the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. We'll continue the discussion uh, after the news at nine. The weather, mainly fine. 30 degrees now. Humidity is at 74%. Two people, including a four-year-old... Welcome back. That's enough news. Welcome back. Uh, this is a Monday morning uh, back chat with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverson. We're talking about uh, aspects of uh, COVID. We were talking a little bit about uh, Nicole Kidman and about the zero COVID policy in the first part of the uh, programme. Uh, we're going to be talking later uh, in about uh, 15 or so minutes uh, about um, controversy over retired Gurkha soldiers in the uh, UK. Uh, of course, many with strong links uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, if we want to comment on uh, anything that's on your mind you can email backchat at rthk.hk uh, or you can go to our facebook page backchat on rthk radio 3 is that uh, facebook page let's uh, have a look at what people have been saying uh, okay quite a lot of emails uh, some of them are quite long which we appreciate but i may have to edit for for just to squeeze them all in uh, phil b says the government's drive to push vaccinations has no incentives we are in fact going backwards having the jab has no reward just look at the quarantine rules which change all the time the knee-jerk reaction of the government is not helping the government needs to mandate vaccinations and large organizations and clubs need to do the same uh, karen says so once again we're trapped in hong kong with no hope of a release date aside from the cost hasn't it been shown that the un unscientifically proven three weeks in a hotel also risks you getting contaminated with covid also how does zero covid policy incentivize anyone to get vaccinated why would anyone bother 
On the seniors' vaccination, uh, Din says, district councillors can surely persuade their senior constituents to get vaccinated. Oh, I forgot. We don't have any district councillors. Uh, and uh, Richard says, one has to wonder how Edward Yao can still be employed. I'm sure you remember when he was environment minister. The big dust storm that blew in from the north... Uh, broke all the pollution records in one day. Edward had to perform a press conference to explain what was wrong. A deer in the headlights is the best description for Edward's performance that evening. Here we are again, several years later, and Edward is at it again, explaining all the COVID rules that will apply exclusively to Nicole and her handlers, which in fact apply to everyone in Hong Kong, except the most important one, the two to three week prison term that is our quarantine. Don't worry, Edward, you'll get promoted up rather than fired. That's what happened last time. That's uh, from uh, Richard. And uh, Kim says, Mr. Yao, does the government believe that the negligible uh, economic benefits of filming uh, in Hong Kong trumps and is more important than the mental well-being of those, especially children, subject to 14 or 21 days quarantine? May I suggest the minority in government who believe that 21 days is necessary, um, despite science and data proving otherwise, undergo 21 days in a room without any access to fresh air, vitamin D and human interaction? Three basic necessities to function healthily as a human being start rolling out home quarantine to close contact that comes uh, from kid uh, from sorry that comes from uh, Kim uh, and uh, Henry says uh, I uh, without knowing the details it's difficult to comment giving emotional comment does not help this is a with regard to uh, uh, Nicole Kidman, I believe in granting conditional exemption. The government must have considered the potential impact to possible spread of COVID in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has come a long way to the current state where most of the cases are imported cases. And the last thing anyone wants, is go it, government included, is COVID spreading in Hong Kong again. Thus, I support the government's move in Kidman's case. There is no need to take a conspiracy view. That is uh, from uh, Henry joining us uh, now. Uh, we have uh, on the line Dr. Sridhar Siddharth, who's a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology, and uh, Sinesh Mool, who's a group operations director at Overlow uh, Hotels. And we've also got a, a caller on the line, I think. Good morning. Hello. A caller. Hello. Hi, this is Larry Kyla. Am I am I am I calling in as a caller? Yeah, go on or whatever. Yes, explain. Uh, uh, hi. Uh, uh, so I thought I got a media inquiry when invited for an interview, but I can also. Talk I don't to know. Laura, it's, yeah, but. whatever, whatever it is. Explain. I mean, you're 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 at the moment. You're in Penny's Bay. Are you explain? Yes. Yes, how, I am. How, yeah. Why you're in Penny's Bay? Uh, so we were part of this group that's been in the news lately quite a bit. Um, uh, so um, we were at Dorset Wan Chai uh, at the end of uh, July and early August. And uh, there was this very, very unlikely um, intra-quarantine contagion that happened there, as you probably read about. Uh, uh, And as a result, even though most of us had been out and about for two weeks or even more, we were told that we need to be locked up in Penny's Bay. Because you're a close contact of someone who was discovered later to have got the virus in the hotel. Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of different strange things about this. Um, yes. One of them is the classification of us as closed contacts. So we were all in quarantine, right? In separate rooms. <laughs> yeah, separate rooms going above and beyond any kind of, you know, any kind of reasonable um, social distancing measures. Um, and um, uh, the, the spread or the, the, the contagion itself was, you know, statistically incredibly unlikely to begin with. So we still ended up being classified as, you know, the most dangerous type of, of suspected uh, spreader of coronavirus. 
which is quite odd, uh, especially since at the same time the authorities didn't seem to care at all where we had spent some of us more than two weeks. So yes. there was no contact tracing, there was no interest about our whereabouts. That's, that's so the strangest weeks. part, isn't it? You'd, you be, were, you'd been out of the hotel. Yes, they out came of out of the hotel. You'd been out of quarantine for two weeks. Right, exactly. And then l l hooked back into Penny's Bay after two weeks? Yeah, we hadn't even, of course, we hadn't been in Penny's Bay, we'd have been in a hotel, but yes, that's, what, that's exactly what yes. happened. Um, the other thing that we've been really concerned about, so what's happened is that there's a total of 13 of us, and eight of us were able to find each other online and so on, and we've been coordinating with each other, and we wrote an open letter eventually uh, to Secretary Sophia Chan, uh, asking her, you know, just to respond to our, our concerns and our questions about all the irregularities in this case. Uh, and basically we did that because there's no other mechanism. Right. So there's absolutely no way for us to uh, challenge our detention or find out anything about it. So we've tried every possible route. We're not getting responses. We're not getting answers to our questions. I think that's a broader problem. It's... it's, it's um, you know, anyone who, who ends up here, uh, you know, whether this is no a mistake or whether yes. this is, you know, controlling bad PR, it's a really bad situation if you're not able to, to challenge it or talk to anyone. I want, our, I want our listeners to be very clear what happened to you. You were uh, two weeks or so in a quarantine hotel and then you were released from the quarantine hotel for a yes. varying period of time. You may have gone home, you may have gone to another hotel, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then you were pulled back in to Penny's Bay. This is correct, yes. So That's unbelievable. That's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. So <laughs> and this is where we're getting all this media attention. You know, there was a, there was a newspaper article, or actually multiple newspapers, uh, uh, reported about this already yesterday, uh, right after our, our open, open letter went out. And, of course, this... Uh, Invitation from you guys, from RTHK, to be on this program. Uh, so it seems like this is this is creating uh, quite a bit of uh, interest, despite the fact, like, I was just listening to your, your listeners' comments there. Um, and, you know, obviously everyone's really upset and everybody feels like uh, the policies are extremely incoherent. And despite this situation, we were able to stand out, you know. Uh, people are noticing that this is a particularly bizarre case. Mm. And, well, the filmmaking also, because I can understand a film which it shows Hong Kong in a good light, which might therefore attract tourists or might attract businessmen, but, but those people are not coming because we insist on putting them in quarantine for three weeks. So <laughs> the economic benefit of the film at this, at this particular time is broken here. Well, I, I think we have every sympathy with your situation. I don't, I'm not sure what we can do about it. Thanks a lot. I don't think there's much to do at this point. We have a couple of nights to go. This has been like an eight-day stint for us, uh, a bit more for somebody else and less for others. Um, how, are and, how are things in Penny's Bay? You know, we are fine. My, my partner and I are fine. There's others here who are, you know, under a lot of emotional strain. Uh, and it's not necessarily like a critique of, uh, you know, the quarantine policies or, you know, how Penny's Bay is run. But... Uh, people who are mentally prepared to undergo long quarantine and then they're taken in and it is clear to everyone that they shouldn't be here. Uh, that's a very distressing experience mm. because you feel like you're being imprisoned. You are not allowed to ask questions. You don't get answers uh, and you know that you don't have COVID 
uh, and you know there's no avenue for for challenging it. So that's emotionally distressing for a lot of people. Mm. All right. Well, our sympathies. Uh, many thanks for your, for your call, uh, Mr. Uh, Kyler. Thank you very much indeed. Best of luck uh, with your endeavours. Um, uh, also joining us uh, is uh, uh, Sunish Moore, who's a Group Operations Director with the Overlo Hotels. Uh, um, good morning to you. Uh, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Okay, here's, here's an email from a, from a listener uh, who says uh, uh, the government, the Hong Kong government's hotel quarantine policy is based primarily on economics rather than sound public policy, public health policy. The hotel quarantine system is in place to provide financial assistance to the hotel and travel agency sectors. Why is it possible for inbound travellers to find quarantine hotel rooms at inflated prices via local travel agencies? It's virtually impossible to book reservations directly with hotels. The current hotel quarantine system is unsustainable. The previous home quarantine system in place last year was effective. Hong Kong needs to increase vaccination rates among the population and begin to transition from a zero-COVID environment. That comes uh, from uh, uh, Patricia. So, so just explain, um, Mr Moore, you and, and you know other hotels... Uh, are you in favour of the current current government policy? Do, do hotels want to become quarantine hotels, or do they have different ideas? What's the situation? Yeah, uh, you know, honestly, back in March, April of 2020, uh, we were one of the first, first hotels to put our hands up and said we'd love to have the quarantine returning guests back yeah. here as long as the government gave us the guidelines of cleaning our rooms, taking care of our staff, and just giving us procedures. Uh, we opened our doors to all our quarantine returning guests at four of our hotels. Um, and then come in December of 2020, the government did announce that it would be a mandatory um, request through the government that every hotel that's on the list would be the only channel of uh, stay, which we were not in favor of. And actually, the number of hotels that were selected was a very nominal uh, amount, which even Oblo Hotels was not part of, after being, you know, doing a pretty decent job, I would say, of taking care of our returning guests. Um, And even currently right now, we're looking at under 9,400 rooms during the summer, uh, which is not adequate at all to cope with all the returning people, returning students, uh, people going back for emergencies. We're looking at 35 hotels out of the 800-plus hotels in Hong Kong. What, what What do you think of the policy overall? Is it sensible, having people in a hotel for three weeks? Is it, it safe? Is, it is sensible. I'm not sure about the three weeks. Uh, it is sensible because uh, we are being trained by the government well. We have the Department of Health checking on us and making sure we're doing due diligence. Uh, we are taking care of the guests as best as possible. Three meals. Um, I know our current hotels are offering decent meals, decent you know experiences, and also making it more like a staycation at our hotels. It is. It is. We find it a very useful tool, not only just as a hotel, but just guests coming back and not having to go to Penny Bay or you know government run. Uh, properties. What about air the, changes in the room per hour? I, I'm sorry? The, changing ventilation. the air, the ventilation in the room. Yes, the ventilations, we had to modify all our ventilations. We had to go through the strict guidelines for the building department, the ordinance. Uh, we've done all that, the due diligence. I think 90% was already existing as far as what the requirements were. Uh, so we were, we're okay with all the changes that we needed to do to become a quarantine hotel officially on the, the list. How about, can people open the window? At our properties, we're lucky. At our Southside property, our windows do open, so we're a very um, high-ranked choice just to, for the windows. Our central property as well, our toilets, all the windows open to get a little fresh air when you need it. So we're a little lucky in that. I believe there's five or six hotels on the 35 list that you are able to open windows, and that is currently um, uh, an option for our guests. Mm. 
Uh, all right, a lot of a lot of emails. Um, let's see. Um, uh, Guy says it's not just international business which is suffering under this zero COVID policy. It's also international families cut off from children and grandchildren. At least bring back the original home quarantine arrangements, which is supported by the WHO, which laid down very clear guidelines uh, for that. Uh, Umesh says I'm hearing some friends with elderly parents. The one main reason their parents are not getting vaxxed is because the government health system they're in is so damn slow in giving the approval of getting in. Just as your guest here stated, 2024 for one. I know of one who's waiting for his asthmatic doctor appointment in November before he can get any information. He's been to see clinics to see doctors for other ailments, but they will not help in recommending him and told him wait until his asthmatic doctor's appointment in November. Blame the damn government system here on elderly not getting vaxxed. That comes uh, from uh, uh, Umesh. Uh, Andrew Kay says, Nicole Kidman, who is this person? Is she famous? Yes, she's famous. CW says, as, COVID, as Hong Kong is pretty much at zero COVID, why can't the mask-wearing rules be relaxed for those who have been vaccinated? What is the strategy? Well done to Singapore in having a strategy and uh, executing it. Uh, JR said, I heard a thought that the reason why the borders will remain closed until March is due to the Winter Olympics. Uh, to be held in Beijing in the 4th of February. The mainland government wants to avoid the thing which happened to the Olympics in Tokyo being postponed, etc., etc. The government wants a squeaky clean population in terms of COVID so the Games can go ahead without a hitch in terms of scheduling. Uh, uh, Tommy says, My friend and his wife have been trying hard to get her mother, vac mother vaccinated. She went to see the doctor the other day and he asked her why bother. This, of course, was very disheartening to my friends as it set their efforts to get her vaccinated back considerably. This makes me wonder to what extent doctors like this are responsible for the low vaccination rate here. That comes from Tommy. Uh, Dr. Sridhar Siddharth is, is with us also, a clinical assistant professor uh, from the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Thanks for, for joining us once again. Um, what, what do you think of the role of uh, public doctors in particular uh, in you know, encouraging people, uh, the elderly, to get vaccinated in Hong Kong? Well, I think they definitely play a major role because they're seeing um, uh, these uh, people as patients uh, day in and day out. And uh, I, I would have to say that things are definitely improving and we have a, a very high vaccination uptake rates among doctors, especially in the public system. So they are very, going to be instrumental in terms of uh, really getting across the message that vaccination for our elderly is required. But uh, again, we've seen this barrage, constant barrage of negative news about the vaccination in the media, either saying that people still fall sick because of vaccines or people uh, uh, get COVID-19 despite vaccines. So uh, unfortunately, the lack of nuanced messaging has led to a lot of mistrust among vaccines, among the younger generation who are still willing to get the vaccine for themselves, but are discouraging perhaps their parents or the older generation from getting it. So I think that's also a big factor behind uh, why we're lacking behind. What about quite common uh, ailments, that is slightly high blood pressure or slightly high cholesterol levels? Should they disqualify you from getting vaccinated? Absolutely not. It's it's fine. It's fine to uh, go and uh, get a vaccine even if you have these common chronic conditions. I'd like to remind uh, listeners that overseas there's really no concept of a health check before getting vaccination. You just show up and get the jab and go home. So it's this uh, whole concept of you know doing a very thorough head to toe physical. I mean, uh, uh, physical examination before getting a vaccination is quite unique. I would say to Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, okay, we've had a specific 
medical uh, question uh, on our Facebook page. It's from Kim. He says, may I ask if the doctors sending their patients explained what PEG is and what products contain PEG? For example, the laxative used for a colonoscopy contains PEG. Most people would have been exposed to products containing PEG. They do not need to wait three years for an allergy test if the doctors take time to explain PEG. Uh, um, do you know what that's getting at? Is PEG in the vaccination? It's used as a. It is PEG as a component of the BioNTech vaccine. So uh, PEG is everywhere in the products that we use, including uh, the uh, colonoscopy, uh, the, the stuff that you drink for colonoscopy, and also many cosmetics. It's, it's a laxative, is it? Not exactly a laxative. Okay. It's, uh, it's, it's basically polyethylene glycol. So it's 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 a chemical uh, uh, stabilizer, I believe. But I'm not exactly sure what it does, but it's widely found in a variety of uh, uh, products that we use day in and day out. Mm. And uh, if you have a known allergy to PEG, it is probably one of the few instances where you're not recommended to get the BioNTech vaccine. So uh, I understand that there's a lot of concern among people whether you're allergic to a PEG or not. But again, I point out that it's extremely uncommon with the rates of severe allergy to the BioNTech vaccine um, mounting to a handful of cases per million doses. So again, if you're thinking whether you're PEG allergic, uh, I mean, unless you have very, very definite grounds to be sure of that, you're probably not. It's probably okay. uh, safe to receive the vaccine. All right. Um, thanks very much indeed. All right. A, a lot of emails. S says, just a reminder to Henry, when Nicole Kidman was granted non-quarantine conditions, she came from Australia at the time of her arrival, uh, where there was a lockdown due to rising uh, cases. Martin says, Hong Kong followed the zero COVID policy of the mainland, but can't even get the border opened, which is even more important for the local business community than international travel. The priority should be to open quarantine-free travel with the mainland and then eventually with the rest of the world if vaccination rates are high enough and Delta variants are under control. The EU, the EU will also need to aim for inclusion of Sinovac in any of their vaccine passports. Mike says, boosters forever. Let's see six months and if the vaccine isn't effective any longer. Really? That's not good. Nor will we told. Side effect? Are we getting accurate information? I go to the CDC in the USA for answers. Uh, here's my analysis. More injury and deaths in the last eight months from vaccines than from all vaccines in the last 30 years. That's derived from current statistics. One reason people don't want the jab. What else are we not being told? So many questions. That's from uh, Mike. Uh, uh, MT says the Hon current Hong Kong government policy shows the Hong Kong government, government believes they will be able to prevent the Delta variant from entering Hong Kong forevermore. Unbelievable. That's from uh, MT. Uh, JK says signal versus noise. The vaccine hesitant folks are diff finding it difficult to differentiate signals from noises. Signal, red light uh, at a pedestrian crossing. Uh, nosy, when you're standing at a crossing, it's a red light in Causeway Bay, but your friend's crossing quickly, you're now late for lunch. At that moment, a large crowd comes rushing up behind you and your friend, and then you hear run, a man coming to shoot us with a machine gun. If run decides red light... You've, sorry, JK, you've lost me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get back to that tomorrow when I've had time to uh, digest it. Sorry about that, JK. Uh, Tony says, the way we should try to follow the Western world with vacation... Vacation... Vacation don't work. The West should try to follow Hong Kong. We manage Hong Kong with low vacation. I mean vaccination, but we're willing to wear masks. 
uh, just like SARS. Uh, and uh, another one there from uh, Mike, same one. Uh, Horatio says, um, this. Uh, thank you for the listeners for calling in. Compare it to the comment immediately before, I think that's uh, Henry, which the writer believes the government is making sound decisions. Horatio says, this is a violation of human rights. Can Mr Tin tell us whether a case can be filed at The Hague? How can any decent government stop its citizens from coming home when they're vaccinated and not confirmed COVID patients? At least increase the number of hotel quarantine rooms. That's from uh, Horatio. Among, I'm sorry if I didn't have time to get to all the emails uh, uh, today. We will, of course, return, I'm afraid, to the topic on another occasion. But then finally today, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the situation of uh, Gurkhas, uh, a group of uh, veteran uh, uh, Gurkha soldiers from the British Army, have uh, called off a, a, a hunger strike uh, after 13 days after British officials agreed to talks over their grievances over pension rights. To tell us more, we're joined now by uh, Tim Garong, who's the author of uh, Gurkha Books, Aya Gukali. Uh, good morning to you, Mr Garong. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi. Thank, thank you, you very much for having me. Thank you very much indeed. Explain, uh, explain the situation. What is the, what is the issue that they're, they're striking about and, and what's the latest? Uh, what has the government, British government said that they will do? Actually, the uh, Gurkhas, as you know, is worldwide uh, known as the bravest of the brave. But uh, the Gurkhas' story is not only about bravery; it's also about tragedy. And uh, it has been uh, going on for almost 30 years now, since the first uh, Gurkha justice campaign began in 90, early 90s. But what happened is. Uh, I, I don't think we have time to talk about this, but uh, for the latest is what happening. What happened is um, uh, in uh, last May, the uh, Gorkha uh, the state campaigner campaigner submitted a thirteen point list list of thirteen point grievances about the Gorkha grievances to the Gorkha, uh, to the British British government. They also had a rally on June fifteenth and July first. To express their grievances, but uh, they heard nothing from the British government. Therefore, they went for a relay, 13 days relay, hunger strike in front of the, um, the 10 Downing Street uh, from uh, August uh, 21st, uh, sorry, July 21st to August uh, uh, 2, but they didn't hear anything from the government again. Then they went to the far unto death, three of them, two Gurkha veterans and one widow of the Gurkha, went to uh, a hunger strike on 7th of uh, August. And then finally after uh, he got a um, wide range of uh, exposure from all media all over the world and uh, also supporter coming there, going there, the British government finally came to, uh, came to them on the... Uh, on 13th date, and they agreed to have a talk. So they. Uh, but what exactly, that, uh, Mr. Gurung, uh, what exactly is the issue? Uh, is it the your... issue is actually there are many, but the most importantly is about the the, the equality on pension right. and other welfare, as well as some migration issue, uh, immigration issue. But the biggest problem is the, the equality uh, on pension, you know. And so, mostly those affected are. Those who have sort of after World War II to 1997, when they uh, between those uh, groups uh, are the most uh, affected one.
because they also had uh, two big cut, uh, cut downs in uh, 1969 and 1997, and most of them were sent home without any pay, pension, or uh, adequate uh, several uh, severance payments. So because of that, uh, they had a difficult life, uh, you know, without pension, difficult life living in Nepal, and had to uh, sort out for alternative uh, income in risky places like Iraq, Afghanistan, and other Gulf nations. But, but more or less, it was okay. But uh, the only problem, big problem began when uh, the Gurkhas uh, got a, you know, UK British, uh, the citizenship uh, right in 2009, when most of the Gurkhas moved to UK. Mm. And uh, since they moved to UK, but uh, as, as they live in the UK, they have to pay the, the living standard, food, water, all the bills are the same. But... They were actually still paying the, the Nepal pension. That was the biggest problem. Mm. What did the British government? I understand. The, what, what did the British government say? What, uh, they said they were going to think about it. No, of course they always say that we are always fair. Uh, we are giving the right thing like that. But of course, <laughs> it's a good institution which is uh, now more than 200 years. You know, it's, it's a long story. But uh, what the British had treated uh, to us in return is. Uh, uh, not not very good, you know. It's it, 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 actually mm -hmm. the scale. That was the biggest problem because the problem started in 1947 when they signed the treaty, you know, the call it Treaty between Nepal, India, and and uh, the British. That time, the the, the British followed the British Army and moved to Malaysia and Singapore. But on the treaty, it clearly says that Nepal, uh, the Gurkhas will not be will not be subjected to any discrimination or uh, the, will not uh, humiliate you know the mercenary attack those things. But in contrast, instead of integrating the Gurkhas into the British Army, the British created a totally separate system for mm. the Gurkhas since then, 1947. And the main motive of the system was to pay as little as possible. And that is the main reason, you know, why the discrepancy is so big. Now, you know, the the, the pension disparity uh, among those people, from those who, who served after World War II to 1997, is 10 times less, mm. 10 times less then their peers back in the British Army. And that is the main reason why I still have this problem. Okay. Well, Mr. Gurung, thank, many thanks for, for joining us. Uh, Tim Gurung, the uh, uh, author. Uh, comment from Henry, who says, the issue of Gurkha pensions only shows Britain is very mean. Gurkhas fought for the British Empire back in the old days. Many of them do the hard labour, while British soldiers have an easier work. But the Gurkhas pension are different, not on equal terms as British soldiers. Clearly that's unfair, colonial in character, meaning British soldiers are more equal than others. Why fight for the mean Britain? Is Britain saying Gurkha soldiers are inferior? Shame to the UK. That's uh, from uh, Henry. Uh, Angry Jay says, uh, back on uh, uh, COVID topics, you have said absolutely nothing about people who've had the jab, then had side effects. If you call the 24-hour hotline, it's absolutely useless uh, unless the government does not want to know. All they say is go and see a health professional. Go to the hospital, it takes five hours to see a doctor at your expense. As for Nicole Kidman, if you're wealthy, you get everything. And if you're the riffraff, you get 
uh, you don't. You get the shaft. <laughs> to, to summarise, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, finally, Bowen says, uh, on the importance of listening to Backchat in its present format, uh, amid analysts' prediction that Beijing is likely to draft a more refined and targeted anti-sanctions law for Hong Kong, it should be pointed out that Backchat is probably the only local platform where the concept of lawful, smart or targeted sanctions of limited scope was raised more than once from as early as 6th of August. Meanwhile, you had a chorus of Hong Kong officials and politicians expressing the inevitability of putting the mainland's anti-sanctions law, practically in its original form, apart from details relating to penalties, straight into Annex 3. This is solid proof, if any is needed, that retaining the present form of format of backchat is vital insofar as the interests of Beijing are concerned. Isn't it? That is from Bowen. Bowen, many thanks to you. Mike, thank you very much. I'd like to think so, yes. Keep backchat as it is. Very useful. And the weather, uh, mainly fine, apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day, with temperatures up to about 33 degrees. The outlook, sunny periods, and a few showers in the next couple of days. 30 Celsius now. Relative humidity is at 75%. Everyone wants to be recognized and praised. Your child is no different. Try to focus on the process, not the outcome. Acknowledge their effort. Help your child to learn through mistakes. Prepare your child to lead a happy and positive life. Care, encouragement, and acceptance are keys to building a positive family. 9.34, the news now with Todd Harding. The Taliban have said hundreds of their fighters are heading for the Panjshir Valley north of Kabul because local leaders had refused to hand it over peacefully. Meanwhile, Amrullah Saleh, who was the first vice president of Afghanistan until a week ago, says he now considers himself the legitimate caretaker president and won't accept the Taliban's vision for the country. Back locally, and no new coronavirus cases have been found after 570 residents in a Chunwan building were tested overnight. The building was locked down for the testing, which finished at 6.45 this morning. A 56-year-old man who's being treated as an imported case had been staying at Block 1 of Bosek Mansion during the 21-day incubation period of the virus. And the US Vice President Kamala Harris has arrived in Singapore for the first stop on a tour of Southeast Asia. She's due to meet the city-state President Halima Yaakob and Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung today and later visit a US warship at the Changi Naval Base. Analysts say Ms Harris's visit is intended to counter China's growing